Romantics to Womance's public access read-along of the Jane Austen classic, Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I'm the odd chapter reader, Morgan. This week, it's lucky number 22, which means I'm your reader. Morgan, can you tell us what happened in chapter 21 when this book became of legal drinking age in these United States? Yes, of course. Mr. Collins stayed for the rest of his trip. Blech. The gals went to Maryton so that they could hopefully run into Wickham. <laughs> they do. Wickham and Elizabeth have like just like a merry old time talking about how cool Wickham is. And then when Lizzie gets home, she sees that Jane has received a lead letter from Netherfield and Jane shares the contents of this letter which is basically Caroline Bingley being like uh, my brother is leaving forever and hopefully he'll marry Georgiana Darcy Mr. Darcy's little sister and Jane's like oh it must be true because Caroline is such a good honest person and Lizzie's like maybe (laughs) and they decide to tell their mom like a really mitigated kind of muffled version of that story To which she still was not happy, but... No, but she's still kind of hopeful. Excellent. With that. The Bennets were engaged to dine with the Lucases, and again, during the chief of the day, Miss Lucas was so kind as to listen to Mr. Collins. Elizabeth took an opportunity of thanking her. Keeps him in good humor, said she, and I am more obliged to you than I can express. Charlotte assured her friend of her satisfaction in being useful and that it amply repaid her for the little sacrifice of her time. This is very amiable, but Charlotte's kindness extended farther than Elizabeth had any conception of. Its object was nothing less than to secure her from any return of Mr. Collins's addresses by engaging them towards herself. Hmm. Such was Miss Lucas's scheme, and appearances were so favorable that when they parted at night, she would have felt almost sure of success if he had not been to... if he had not been to leave Hertfordshire so soon. But here she did injustice to the fire and independence of his character, for it led him to escape out of Longbourn House the next morning with admirable slyness and hastened to Lucas Lodge to throw himself at her feet. He was anxious to avoid the notice of his cousins from a conviction that if they saw him depart, they could not fail to conjure his design, and he was not willing to have the attempt known till its success could be known likewise. For though Aww. feeling almost secure, and with reason, for Charlotte had been tolerably encouraging, he was comparatively diffident since the adventure of Wednesday. His reception, however, was of the most flattering kind. Miss Lucas perceived him from an upper window as he walked towards the house and instantly set out to meet him, accidentally in the lane, but little had she dared to hope that so much love and eloquence awaited her there. Aww. In as short a time as Mr. Collins' long speeches would allow, <laughs> everything was settled between them to the satisfaction of both, and as they entered the house, he earnestly entreated her to name the day that was to make him the happiest of men, and though such a solicitation must be waived for the present, the lady felt no inclination to trifle with his happiness. The stupidity with which he was favored by nature must guard his courtship from any charm that could make a woman wish for its continuance and miss lucas who accepted him solely for the pure and disinterested desire of an establishment cared not how soon that establishment were gained yikes sir william and lady lucas were speedily applied to for their consent and it was bestowed with a most joyful alacrity 
Mr. Collins's present circumstance made it a most eligible match for their daughter to whom they could give little fortune and his prospects of future wealth were exceedingly fair. Lady Lucas began directly to calculate with more interest than the matter had ever excited before how many years longer Mr. Bennett was likely to live and Sir William gave it as his decided <laughs> opinion that whenever Mr. Collins should be in possession of the Longbourn estate it would be highly expedient that both he and his wife should make their appearances at St. James's. Oh. The whole family, in short, were properly overjoyed on the occasion. The younger girls formed hopes of coming out a year or two sooner than they might otherwise have done, and the boys were relieved from their apprehension of Charlotte's dying an old maid. Charlotte herself was tolerably composed. She had gained her point and had time to consider it. Her reflections were in general satisfactory. Mrs. Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome, and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still, he would be her husband. Without thinking highly either of men or of matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only honorable provision for well-educated young women of small fortune, and however uncertain of its giving happiness, must be their pleasantest preservative from want. This preservative she had now obtained, and at the age of 27, without having ever been handsome, she felt all the good luck of it. The least agreeable circumstance in the business was the surprise it must occasion to Elizabeth Bennet, whose friendship she valued beyond that of any other person. Elizabeth would wonder, and probably would blame her, and though her resolution was not to be shaken, her feelings must be hurt by such disapprobation. She resolved to give her the information herself and therefore charged Mr. Collins when he returned to Longbourn to dinner to drop no hint of what had passed before any of the family. A promise of secrecy was, of course, very dutifully given, but it could not be kept without difficulty, for the curiosity excited by his long absence burst forth in such very direct questions on his return as required some ingenuity to evade and he was at the same time exercising great self-denial, for he was longing to publish his prosperous love. Oh, God. <laughs> As he was to begin his journey too early on the morrow to see any of the family, the ceremony of leave-taking was performed and the ladies moved for the night. And Mrs. Bennet, with great politeness and cordiality, said how happy they should be to see him at Longbourn again whenever his other engagements might allow him to visit. My dear madam, he replied, this invitation is particularly gratifying because it is what I have been hoping to receive, and you may be very certain that I shall avail myself of it as soon as possible. They were all astonished, and Mr. Bennet, who could by no means wish for so speedy a return, immediately said, but is there not danger of Cath Lady Catherine's disapprobation here, my good sir? You had better neglect your relations than run the risk of offending your patroness. My dear sir, replied Mr. Collins, I am particularly obliged to you for your friendly caution, and you may depend upon my not taking so material a step without her ladyship's concurrence. You cannot be too much in honor on your guard risk anything rather than her displeasure and if you find it likely to be raised by your coming to us again which i should think exceedingly probable stay quietly <laughs> at home and be satisfied that we shall take no offense believe me my dear sir my gratitude is warmly excited by such affectionate attention and depend upon it you will speedily receive from me a letter of thanks for this as well as for every other mark of your regard during my stay in hertfordshire as for my fair cousins, though my absence may not be long enough to render it necessary, I shall now take the liberty of wishing them health and happiness, not excepting my cousin Elizabeth. 
With proper civilities, the ladies then withdrew, all of them equally surprised to find that he meditated a quick return. Mrs. Bennet wished to understand by it that he thought of paying his addresses to one of her younger girls, and Mary might have been prevailed on to accept him. She rated his abilities much higher than any of the others. There was a solidity in his reflections which often struck her, and though by no means so clever as herself, she thought if encouraged to read and improve himself improve himself by such an example as hers he might become a very agreeable companion but on the following morning every hope of this kind was done away miss lucas called soon after breakfast and in a private conference with elizabeth related the event of the day before the possibility of mr collins fancying himself in love with her friend had once occurred to elizabeth within the last day or two but that charlotte could encourage him seemed almost as far from possibility as that she could encourage him herself and her astonishment was consequently so great as to overcome the first first the bounds of decorum and she could not help crying out engaged mr collins my dear charlotte impossible the steady countenance with which miss lucas had commanded in telling her story gave way to a momentary confusion here on receiving so direct a reproach though as it was no more than she expected she soon regained her composure and calmly replied why should you be surprised my dear eliza do you think it incredible that mr collins should be able to procure any woman's good opinion because he was not so happy as to succeed with you but elizabeth had now recollected herself and making a strong effort for it was able to assure her with tolerable tolerable firmness that the prospect of their relationship was highly grateful to her and that she wished her all the imaginable happiness i see what you are feeling replied charlotte you must be surprised very much surprised so lately as mr collins was wishing to marry you but when you have had time to think it all over i hope you will be satisfied with what i have done i am not romantic you know i never was i ask only a comfortable home and considering mr collins character connections and situation in life i'm convinced that my chance of happiness with him is as fair as most people can boast on entering the marriage state elizabeth quietly answered undoubtedly and after an awkward pause they returned to the rest of the family charlotte did not stay much longer and elizabeth was then left to reflect on what she had heard it was a long time before she be became at all reconciled to the idea of so unsuitable a match the strangeness of mr collins making two offers of marriage within three days was nothing in comparison of his being now accepted she had always felt that charlotte's opinion of matrimony was not exactly like her own but she could not have supposed it possible that when called into action she would have sacrificed every better feeling to worldly advantage charlotte the wife of mr collins was a most humiliating picture and to the pang of a friend disgracing herself and sunk in her esteem was added the distressing conviction that it was impossible for that friend to be tolerably happy in the lot she had chosen. Well, I'm going to say it. I'm not in the right headspace for chapter 22. <laughs> I wish this had come with several trigger warnings. This is such like a memeable moment in pop culture now, that speech that she gives in the 2005 movie. I'm 27 years old. I'm already a burden to my family, and I'm afraid. But this, you know, that stuff is all internalized in this chapter and only kind of like gestured at because I don't think Charlotte is admitting to herself that she's a burden to her family and afraid. I mean, she does say the only honorable provision for well-educated young women of small fortune and however uncertain of giving happiness must be their pleasantest preservative from want. 
Yeah. And she says, I'm not romantic, you know. I never was. I ask only a comfortable home. And considering Mr. Collins's character, connections, and situation in life, I'm convinced that my chance of happiness with him is as fair as most people can boast on entering the marriage state. The thing that breaks my heart is that both of these women are right. Like, Lizzie's right to be like, she'll never be happy, and it's impossible. And the fact that she feels humiliated for Charlotte is probably a bridge too far but it does feel impossible like charlotte lucas is smart and funny and interesting and mr collins is none of those things but that line about the most pleasantest preservative from want like even then the line where her younger brothers are happy that she won't die an old maid because it relieves them of having to take care of their older sister like you're right to say that that fear has been internalized in this chapter but it is deeply present yeah there's also that part where it starts it mentions that charlotte's parents start talking about their friends dying soon the bennett's yeah and it really lays bare like (laughs) it's funny but it also very much lays bare the stakes of being an old maid right that whole page and then we come to the end of the chapter and i'm a little disappointed in lizzie's perspective which is Charlotte, the wife of Mr. Collins, was a humiliating picture. And to the pang of a friend disgracing herself and sunk in her esteem was added the distressing conviction that it was impossible for that friend to be tolerably happy in the lot she had chosen. The thing that hurts me about that is being the wife of Mr. Collins was a humiliating picture, but so is being an old maid. And I don't think Lizzie has ever really considered, like, I think Lizzie is still young enough and Lizzie is, in fact, pretty and charming enough that she's never had to, like, really weigh her options like that. She was just able to say no to Mr. Collins and act like it was ridiculous. Charlotte has to take it gravely seriously. Yeah, I think I think the difference in their ages does do a lot of that work. I think you're right to say that Lizzie is not afraid of being an old maid and I don't think she's ever really considered what that means and like that's that's what I'm saying yeah she's yeah no I I agree with you that's why in Lizzie's perspective Mrs. Bennett feels so ridiculous but in our perspective which I think is like somewhere closer to Charlotte's where it's like Mrs. Bennett doesn't want her daughters to starve and she knows what lies at the end of Mr. Bennett's life if her daughters aren't married. Mm-hmm. And it's the fucking Lucases moving in. <laughs> yeah. And to the pang of a friend disgracing herself and sunk in her esteem, right? Because it also hurts to find out that someone you care about feels very differently about themselves and the way you feel about them. But I mean, there's such a material problem here for Charlotte. Like she, I, I understand why she's marrying Mr. Collins. The surest and most pleasantest preservation from want. Yeah. This is the thing about Jane Austen, right? It's like this, it, it feels bad and is funny. <laughs> it's very, like, it's, it's dark. Com- Do you think that this was written as dark comedy? at the time this one feels like this chapter feels that way yeah i I feel like there are moments of it where like her comedy is actually quite dark this chapter feels like particularly that especially like the line about like that he could make two proposals in three days yeah you think there's mournfulness that we're not just like putting that on it i don't think you can write a phrase like the pleasantest preservation from want 
and not have it be mournful. And to the pang of a friend, yeah, we're both getting stuck on. (laughs) Yeah, and like the thing that kills me about Lizzie's thoughts on it is that it's it's Lizzie is 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 the hero of that right like yeah Charlotte marrying Mr. Collins is all about Lizzie's feelings yeah well of course (laughs) and that like she can't like move herself like two steps further to like consider like Charlotte's circumstances and that like Mr. Collins does represent safety security food a house of her own that she gets to dictate the wallpaper and the dinners like Charlotte doesn't have any agency outside of choosing a man in her father's home yeah I think the thing about this book though the thing about Lizzie being the hero of this novel is that she gets to laugh at the ridiculousness of every like somehow everyone else being conditioned to these social more is being chained by these expectations like her mother like Caroline who is obviously trying to get as good of a marriage as possible for her brother because he's a fucking labradoodle he is he Charlie uh, he is not great and like this book is full of that and then it's like how nice to be Lizzie you know I wish we could all be Lizzie's and it's like well we're not and you can't I think that's where, like, the frustration, when I feel frustrated with this novel, lies. What's interesting is, like, when I was younger reading this novel, like, Lizzie's Lizzie's perspective felt like mental fortitude. It felt, like, courageous. It felt, um, you know, smart and spunky and, like, yeah, all of those things, you know, very not like other girls, right? You know, and reading it with you... At a much riper age, <laughs> um, changes my perspective on Lizzie and like her mental isolation in this way. And last chapter, last episode, you said, "How can she be so right about Caroline and so wrong about Wickham?" And I and I think this is part of that. Like her um, her vantage point from the mountaintop of "I'm above all of this" has deep blinders, and it feels like. Is the book, like, how how are my feelings on that going to change as the book progresses? Because right now it feels a little bit like she's a Mary Sue. Like, she always has the right best opinion and everybody loves her the most, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not quite like uh, Jane Eyre when you would just see, like, oh, this is Charlotte talking. Like, the character nut has cracked open, right? That hasn't happened yet. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I know. It feels like it's hazy. Like, I'm like, is that a ghost? Yeah, for sure. Is that Jane Austen, you know? Like, it's not uh, solid, which is weird because Jane Eyre was way more about ghosts. I'd say 100%, but 100 times zero is zero. Well, you know, we got a lot more book to go. I don't think there's any ghosts in this one, right? Yeah. Pride and Prejudice? No? No ghosts. That's going in the Goodreads review. Three stars. No ghosts. First of all, if you come to this book looking for ghosts, ghost somewhere else. (laughs) Thither away. (laughs) All right. Anything else? God. Ugh. Damaging. Emotional damage. It's not good. Content Content warning. warning. Anything else? No? No. Loosen your prejudices then. 
and also your prides. Boo! (laughs) (laughs) Mwah! Guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>